Good morning, good day, and good evening. Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast, episode 12. Thank you once again for everyone who has been listening to date. Welcome to all those new people that have uh, decided to jump into the gaping hole that is the podcast world, or at least uh, at least the antisocial hole. Hope you enjoy it and hope you stick around for more episodes in the future. And please go back as well and check out some of the older ones. And as I said before, big thanks to everybody who has been sticking around since day dot or has been listening for a few episodes now. As always, get on iTunes, get on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast. And if there's any way of rating or reviewing or sharing, please do so. A couple of seconds and a couple of clicks will mean a big deal for me and hopefully get a few more listeners coming in as well. It'll also help me get some uh, more guests in the future, which I've got quite a few uh, in store for everybody. Just to keep the tradition going, this episode of the Andy Social Podcast is not brought to you by my year 12 formal photo, one of a few that I have, and I'll take a photo of this and chuck it up on the Facebook page so you can have a look at this. It's quite a, well, it's a cheerful photo with a bunch of people that I went to school with and me wearing a, an interesting choice of attire. I tended to be a bit of a pain in the ass in school and wanted to do things my own way and I guess uh, probably more an attention-seeking uh, whore than than uh, anything of real, uh, real meaning or purpose. I didn't like wearing suits, didn't like wearing button-up T-shirts, so I just decided to wear uh, a... I think I may have actually hired the suit jacket and the pants, but I wore a T-shirt and I tied the actual tie around my neck. Then I tucked my long pants into a pair of football socks and then wore these poo-coloured airwalk skate shoes. Uh, at the time, I thought I was pretty funny and pretty out there. But um, looking back, yeah, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. It's quite interesting. I'm sure, you know, everyone listening who went to school, and I assume that pretty much everybody did, you know, it's amazing all those people that you stayed in, well, you were friends with at school and, and how quickly things uh, change and people drift apart as soon as you don't have to be at the same place day in, day out for hours at a time. It's quite funny because this photo in particular, which I'll put up and I'll tag a few people in there, there's about 20 or so people in there. And out of that 20, probably about half of them I actually have on Facebook, which I wouldn't say it's surprising. It's quite good. But, you know, I'm sure everybody's in the same boat in typical Facebook fashion. You get a lot of people that uh, stalk and, and want to see what everybody's up to and but you don't really actually speak or, or maintain contact or anything of the sort. So you know, you're connected in a way, but you don't really communicate at all. And, you know, for the most part, this group of people overall, we're all pretty good people. So uh, I've got no issues with uh, any of them being connected. And out of all them, probably only about four of them I actually speak to on a semi-regular occasion. And I'll actually do a shout out in particular to uh, the guy in the bottom left-hand corner, Zachary Smith Cameron, who is the uh, guy who uh, has actually designed the podcast logo. So that's a wonderful drawing of me uh, flying through the air, holding a bass guitar and a mic and looking like I'm either ready to punch some Someone or kick someone's ass with my microphone or whatever. Zach put that together. Zach also did uh, the artwork for the last few t-shirts that we've been doing, uh, including the current tour t-shirt for the Plane to Win tour that's uh, just started now. And he's also done the artwork for our latest EP, What Tomorrow Brings, which is a very different style of artwork that we've used in the past, but it definitely fits in quite well with the whole theme around that EP and especially the title track. It's got a very movie poster feel to it, which is very cool cool. So it's cool to keep in contact with a lot of these people, but it's definitely even better when you 
can uh, work together in a capacity so many years later after leaving school. So it's uh, it's cool how we connected again and, and Zach's been able to do a lot of work for us in the band and maintain contact. And I, I always throw him ideas for T-shirt designs and whatever. And the, the great thing is that something that would probably take me six months to do, he can do in about six minutes. So I have no issues with uh, outsourcing that to Zach and getting him to do some stuff. I'll put some links actually in the show notes to Zach's uh, stuff and I actually put them in the comments for this picture as well because he's a very talented graphic designer, a graphic artist. I'm sure I'm probably completely offending him with those titles, but just a very, very talented individual. And I'll put a bunch of his stuff uh, in the show notes and on the comments of this picture, just so you can check him out. And if you're, if there's anyone out there who's looking for artwork or looking for artwork for whether it be some, a music endeavor or, or anything in particular, he's done some artwork for uh, some comic books, some independent comic books recently, which were really cool. So he's he's quite versatile and uh, and very easy to work with and, and great turnaround as well so i'll uh, definitely plug some of his stuff for everyone to check out but um i'm going to tag some of the some of the guys in in this picture so if any anyone out of the groups listening to this podcast you'll be able to see this uh this shocking photo put up very soon so have a look and, and by all means leave some uh some comments there as well so once again episode 12 of the Andy social podcast is not brought to you by my year 12 formal photo year it would have been 2001 so that'll give you an indication of my age although i'm pretty sure i've disclosed that a few times in the past anyway moving along this week's episode and guest is michael field now michael is an analytical chemist and works in a gold mine at, at a place called Norseman. Now, I really should have uh, written this down just to give some factual information about its precise location. And I do remember that Michael actually made a comment as to where it's sort of situated. But looking at a map and for, your, for my international friends that are listening in, probably the best starting point would be to go to Google Maps and check this out where it is. So Norseman is N-O-R-S-E-M-A-N. And it's situated pretty much in the middle of nowhere, but it's three hours uh, south of Kalgoorlie and three hours north of Esperance. And it's in Western Australia. It's very remote area. I mean, three hours is not too far in the grand scheme of things, but when you look at the size of the towns on either side, it's still, you may as well just say it's in the middle of nowhere. Luckily, I haven't had the pleasure of visiting Norseman and Michael certainly paints a really good picture of uh, what it's like to work out there. It's uh, definitely a unique area and I guess given the isolation, it definitely attracts types of different types of people and uh, I'm sure it'd be an interesting place to visit but it's not high on my list so uh, Michael I've known for a few years Michael's uh, actually very 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 good friends with Shane Bailey who I had on the podcast a couple of episodes ago and met Michael through Shane um, when Michael was uh, based in Adelaide and Michael's uh, you know we've been connected that way and he's actually the uh, creator of the Mork and Andy artwork uh, that is uh, featured on uh, a bunch of T-shirts that we've printed. And um, some of you who are listening uh, have no doubt bought a T-shirt and, and have been wearing it around. And you've seen the comics that uh, float around on, on Facebook as well, where it's a case of uh, Mark or, as I said, as I should say, Mork um, abusing me or giving me shit in uh, each episode of this comic. So quite a funny thing that was put together and Michael was the, uh, the brains behind uh, putting together the, the design and then... Um, 
Mark and I sort of took it from there, especially Mark who put together all the comics and uh, sort of got the joke going. So it sort of exploded from there. But uh, I think it was a mixture of obviously the connection that I had with Michael through Shane, but also uh, what he does for a job is quite interesting and I think overall, on the grand scheme of things, it is a very unique job and a very unique location. I mean, there's a lot of mining towns and areas in Western Australia and and throughout the world mining various minerals, but it is still a very, very unique environment compared to most people. So it was definitely a good opportunity to have a chat to Michael while he was on break in Adelaide. And uh, we spent uh, quite a bit of time going through and uh, and getting an understanding of what he does for a, for a job and uh, what it's like to, to live in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I'll have a bunch of links and details of how to contact Michael in the show notes. He's got a lot of cool things that he does uh, and he's just put up his new photography page as well, which I'll uh, plug that at the end of the podcast. But uh, look, I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please pass around these episodes to everybody that you know that might be interested and uh, appreciate all the support. Enjoy. Hello. Howdy. How's it going? Yeah, good. And yourself? Um, I'm in my recliner with a beer, waiting to talk. <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, little Creatures Pale Ale. Oh, that's okay. I, I approve of that one. I was waiting for... Yeah. What's what's your South Australian beer? Sourk or something like that? Sourk, that's... Yeah, been talking to Mr. Bailey, I think. <laughs> He's the only person in the state that drinks that still. Actually, I forgot about that. I should have... I remember him mentioning that oh, years ago. I just didn't even yeah. think to, to mention that. I don't even know... I don't know where they make it still because you still see it in bottle and you think, who the hell still still buys that besides him? Well, he's obviously buying buying enough to keep them going. So. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's an acquired taste. It is nice, but you have to really be brought up on it. I think. Yeah, from from a small child. Yeah, you know, the zippy cup. <laughs> Straight from the tea. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. stuff. Well, at least you're drinking something of uh, a reasonable yeah. quality. Well, that's it. Now that I can afford it, I uh, I thought, why not? I'm on holidays. I'll buy a carton of that. Nice, nice. And uh, making the big bucks now out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. That's to put a positive spin on it. So. That was going to be one of the first things I was going to ask you is about um, where you live and work, but you, you're moving between two places as far as living. So you're in Adelaide yeah. at the moment. Yeah. So I have a I have a house in Adelaide that I'm paying off, but I have had this for five years now, and I've been at Norseman is where I work, which is really out in the middle of nowhere in Western Australia, 200 k's south of Kalgoorlie and 200 k's north of Esperance. The Long Nullarbor Highway sort of meets up with it. If you ever drive across the Nullarbor, you have to go through Norseman. What's the uh, What's the travel time for you to get there? From Adelaide? Oh, well, I've driven it once. I bought a car here and drove it back, and it was about 2,000 k's from here. So <laughs> I did that in two days. And so what do you do now? I, do you fly, fly back yeah, to I Perth drive, first? Yeah, you have to, I have to drive to Kalgoorlie. There's an airport there. Yeah. And I just, I, I was going to say, I leave my car there in the car, in the, uh, uh, car park of the airport. No, it's surrounded by vicious dogs. If anyone, if anyone's <laughs> listening, <laughs> yeah, the the swarms of uh, Kalgoorlie listeners will be tuning yeah. in, no doubt. Yeah, if anyone's really that hard up, but they need to steal a ninety-eight Falcon, then good luck to them. Oh, they, they've probably got bigger <laughs> concerns in their life anyway. Yeah. So, so good on them if they if they manage to grab yeah. it. 
Yeah. Well, they're probably, the sort of cars are in that car park, they're probably still the SSV Commodore next to it. Yeah, something a bit more upmarket. Yeah, well, there's a lot of upmarket out there, I tell you, <laughs> ridiculous cars driving around. You think, why have you got this out here, totally non-suited? I think there's a there's a Volkswagen dealer out in Kalgoorlie. We deal with every <laughs> once in a while out that way. And uh, sure. I mean, I've only been out there once, which was this year when yeah. you you came came over and saw us yeah. play. And uh, oh, it's it's pretty much like any other country town, really. I mean, it's reminded yeah. me of Broken Hill, but yeah, it's, it's, shit, a, it's definitely min- middle of nowhere though. The only reason it's there is because of that super pit. And yeah. I mean, it's been there a while, but it's the Goldfields hub. It's the biggest city sort of out in that area. Mm. It's a, I don't know, like a Newcastle or somewhere like that. It's not a major capital city, but it's it's pretty big for where it is. But it's where all the shops are. So, you know, when I have my break from work, I, I usually drive to there or to Esperance on one of the days just to go shopping for food. They're really limited in Norseman. What's, uh, We've got a, what's the population of Norseman? Uh, I think at the moment it's about 200. Oh, right. Jeez. But, um, yeah, in its, in its heyday, it was about 2,000. Yep. when the mine was really cranking there. But, yeah, it's, it's shut down about four times. It's had a heap of different owners. And in the last uh, the last shutdown, there was about 2,000 people in the town. And, yeah, overnight it dropped down to about what it is now, like 200. They just all left. So, I mean, apart from, you know, where your dwellings, where you, you actually live yeah. when you're there, what else is in that area? There must be, like, bugger all. There's a pub. <laughs> of course. There's an IGA. I would say small to medium size, like it's bigger than I thought it would be, um, but it's it's really expensive. There's two servos, a BP, a hot tip for listeners, ever going through Norseman, don't go to the BP, go right around the corner, there's a Cowtex, it's 10 cents cheaper, fuel, and better hamburgers. Lo- I got, oh. The locals tip. Yeah, well, the BP is just massive. It's one of those, you know, really huge BP service stations to cater to trucks and everything, whereas the Caltex is your normal size little service station, basically. But people don't see it because uh, they're going to Perth. Usually they'll turn right at Norseman, and that takes them away from the Caltex. So. Ah, so it's but, it's not on the main drag as you're going through. No, well, sort of yeah. take, a, take a turn off, off that drag. Yeah, it's literally 200 metres around the corner from the BP. But unless you're going to Esperance, you'll never see it, but... It's cheaper and it yeah has better better food. I've, I've been burnt twice from the buying stuff at the BP. It's just no, third time, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say once bitten, twice shy, or yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, it's like I went there when I first got to Norseman. I went there for lunch one day because I had no food or anything where I was staying. So I went in there and I bought like a sausage roll, uh, four dim sims, and an iced coffee. You know, how much do you think that would cost? Oh, jeez. I've, I've got no idea. Yeah, not $29. <laughs> $29. You know, you look, at the, you look at the woman serving you with your, your face of, are you fucking serious? And they just sort of give you this this wry smile back, like, yeah, go somewhere else. I dare you. Yeah, okay. that's right. Where are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> at the Monopoly. Like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, but, with, you know, it is the gold fields and you do get screwed on every purchase you make out there because they just assume everyone's rich and, you know, they're not far wrong, but, uh, you know, they certainly do take the piss a lot. I remember, um, like, friends of mine, I don't know where they were working in WA, but they would, it was cheaper for them to live in Perth and fly out yeah. of Perth and work there and then fly back to Perth afterwards because... Yeah. You know, the local housing and everything, rent and everything was just ridiculous. It was just absolutely just yeah. so expensive. Well, I 
before I was there, I went for an interview a year and a bit ago to a place called Onslow, which is way up north of Western Australia on the coast. Like you're just at the little nosy bit of Western Australia, it's right there. Yeah. It's nearly the westernmost part of, of Australia, like the westernmost town. Actually, it might be. Google it, somebody. Let us know in the comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like Karatha. You might know Karatha. Yeah, yeah. It's it's 350k south of Karatha. Oh, so just down, yeah, um, just down the road. And the the rents there, like a house there, costs a couple of million dollars for just a crappy little house. Whew. And yeah, rents were anything from fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a week. I think. Wow. So it must be just because. Is it the same mentality as what you're saying before? They just assume that everybody that's up there is loaded, yeah, and they just check the price thing. up. But it can't be. Yeah. I mean, is it is it on the coast? Yeah, it's right on the on the coast. It, it was actually apparently a, a submarine refueling station in the war. Oh right, but and a whaling station before that. But it is really like you you fly into Karatha, you jump on the highway heading south, and you drive for 250 k's without turning. And then take a right and drive for another hundred and fifty to get to the coast. Wow! And that and like the only reason you're there is to work. I mean, when I was there, uh, Chevron is yep. a big American fuel and gas company that's sort of building all these gas plants out in that area. Yeah. And they had literally flown in another suburb for Onslow and just you know winched it down from helicopter and screwed it into place. And there was a whole new you know, two hundred house suburb for. <laughs> all the people working at this gas station. And they're monstrous too. There's like 2,000 people building it. And when it's operational, there's maybe 400 people there to work at it. Yeah. I mean, just this huge piped monstrosity, like like a Mad Max film, one of these huge things. It's just sucking gas out of the ground, basically. It's uh, It it had to be just a completely different world to, to anywhere yeah. else in the country. I mean... Well, a lot of Western Australia is probably like that in general with all the mining yeah. and, and industry over there. But, you know, for anybody who's just sort of lived on the east coast of Australia, you just, for the mm. most part, would not even be able to comprehend half of the way that people, you know, have to live over over there. And just the, just yeah. that type of commute of, of flying in, flying out, and, and the people that oh, do manage to stay there, what, you know, must be pretty bloody brain dead when you're not oh. working. Well, that's just before I came, like I've been home here since last Wednesday, going back this coming Wednesday. So I just did a 24-day shift to cover, like I, I work in the, the like chemistry lab on the mine, like doing all the analytics for the mill. So yeah. we're milling gold there. We're only mining gold. So we get all the sampling from all the tenements that they're working at the, the mine. The mine's currently got something like 100 tenements, but we're only working about four of them. That's what, all we've got. What is it, a tenant? A tenement's like a clearing in the old Wild West. You stake your claim, so this bit of land's mine, and ah, okay. you know, yep. come on at your apartment and I'll shoot you dead, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're now just called tenements. So gotcha. Like Norseman has the mine is pretty much the centre of our tenement map, and then it goes out. All over east, north, east, west, south, from north, and there's easily a hundred of them at the moment. Like I've got a map in my lab that shows us where all the tenements are because uh, people go out searching for gold there, not prospecting. Like they have a bit of science behind it, where they most likely going to find some. But mm. there's easily a hundred. But because it's a 
um, because it's gold and it's on the stock market, the mines department of WA gives you permission to mine your tenements only a few at a time because, you know, if we were mining all 100, we could just flood the market with gold. Yeah, and then just the value of it would just plummet. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Which is what China did in the start of the year. You might have seen on yep. the news that they were getting shitty that the iron ore price was still high and they didn't want to pay that much. So they just dumped a heap of gold onto the international market and it basically wiped 33% of the gold price off in Australia. <laughs> what a bunch of so, assholes. Yeah, well, that's, it was pure asshole. That's all it was. Yeah. There was no reason to do it other than that they could. So. The Chine- and bring down the... I was just going to say the Chinese powerhouse. Yeah, well, they're, you know, it's a big, big country with a lot of resources itself. Mm. But it's just known for, you know, pumping out plastic crap at a dollar, you know, a dollar a piece <laughs> that the Western nations just buy up because we can't manufacture it that cheap ourselves. <laughs> and I mean, they've got the workforce too—a million people, a billion, sorry, billion people plus yeah. in the one country that fits, you know, twice in Australia or whatever. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. They've, they've bought up a lot of the mines in. In Australia, or yeah, or they're well, starting they, to anyway. This is this is what everybody's pal Tony Abbott was doing with this free trade agreement with with China. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm, you know, being stuck out there, I'm not up on current events as, as most people would be. But oh well, just a heads up. Uh, yeah, Abbott's no longer our uh, prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found that out the other day. Oh, yeah. good, good. No, I have a <laughs> I have a few people that I'm regularly in contact with out there that. Tell me when something exciting goes on, which you know, usually just involves the bachelor or the bachelorette. But, you know. <laughs> the, the the top events, the top current events. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did I did hear like seriously when Tony Abbott got the ask, it did I didn't hear it till two days later. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> yeah, we like you're saying, it's a different world out there working like everyone thinks it's all um and high wages and fun and games, I suppose. It's brutal hours. Like the, the, the hourly rates are no different to yours or mine when I worked in Adelaide. It's just you're doing so many more hours than anybody else, and that's where the high wages come from. Yeah. Because basically there's nothing else out there to do. You, you, you wake up and you work till the sun goes down, then you go home and go to sleep because... And it probably works out better considering there's nothing to do out there. It's probably just easier to work the extra hours to just get through the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I've been here sitting at home trying to sleep in and I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I go to I go to sleep. Stay, like I'm staying up later because I'm you know, talking to friends on, on the internet when it works. My, my internet here at home has been broken. Yeah. Since I got home, I haven't been, like it's been five months since I've been home. So yeah, I came in and said, "Oh, internet!" <laughs> and sit down at my computer. The computer wouldn't start. So yeah, like the tab, the uh, what's it called, the, the thing that you stick the power cord in, <laughs> in the computer that had burnt out. Oh, right. Power supply. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That thing like a. When I was living in in Adelaide previously, I was in Mel- like Melbourne before that, and I've always lived in major cities, so 
this was my first foray out into regional Australia, I suppose you'd say. Um, I was fairly up with computer technology, a bit like your mate Tim, <laughs> like my gadgets. But, you know, the one conversation I've had with Tim was all about gadgetry. So. Yeah, that's that's definitely his forte. If you want, yeah. if you want to win his heart over, you just start talking tech. Anyway, yeah. he won't stop. I thought that was once at um, that bar we go to after your Adelaide gigs, Enigma, yep. Yep. Beer Tower Bar, whatever yep. it's called. Yep. Somebody got stabbed there, I think. Oh, really? Oh, that's high yeah. street for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was there. He just got a new phone, and I, was, I said, oh, is that the new so-and-so? And he was like, no big smile. Yes, it is. <laughs> Come and have a look at this. I was like, yeah. But, yeah, Six hours later. Most of the time, Tim just scares me, so I keep <laughs> away from him. He's very, like, because I see him before a gig mainly. Yeah. And he, he's so laser focused that you don't want to disturb him. And then afterwards, you just disappear. Yeah, well, usually, yeah, before before a show, he's, I mean, he's not, he's, he'll be the first to admit it, he's not the most social of people anyway no. uh, on, no. on a good day, but, um, you know, before a show, he's usually his his mind's elsewhere, and if people try and bail him up, he's he's usually pretty short, and you can tell he's yeah. he's distracted and whatnot. And then afterwards, he he goes and hides for a while. You know, yeah. I guess coming down. coming down after it all. But yeah. then um, I don't know. It depends on depends on where we are and who's out yeah. and whatnot. He'll he he might come out afterwards, or he just goes and uh, hides back at the at the hotel room and. And yeah. uh, you know, tinkers around on his phone or or whatever he's got. So, <laughs> but, you know, that, well, that... no, he didn't. He didn't have Mark there at Calgary to to entertain us afterwards. Well, so. that's it. I mean, it kind of worked out. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a bit annoying not having him there, but it it yeah. was a bit of a blessing in disguise because I didn't drink and yeah. I was able to drive that uh, that van back at six a.m. the next morning back to Perth. Yeah. So it uh, it worked out did... quite well. As good as you guys are, too, you did sort of get your ass handed to you that night, too, by Kimura. Oh, yeah, you were pretty impressed by them, weren't you? Oh, they were so good. Yeah. Oh, they they just played, I don't think they played any gigs till about the 10th. I saw they had another 10th, a gig on the 10th in Perth. Yeah. But, geez, they were good. Yeah, it was... Like, um... I don't just... I don't just buy merch off anyone at a gig. <laughs> you have to really impress me to get me to buy the merch. Well, it was it was but, weird how we, we hooked up with those guys because um, mm. we were trying to get this show in Kalgoorlie and we were, talking, we were dealing directly with the uh, with the pub that we were playing at and yeah. we, had some, we had a couple of people locally that lived in town and we were trying to get an idea of what local bands are out there and the one or two yeah. bands that were out there weren't available. And then the, that they sort of recommendations started coming from those guys for other bands that had relocated to Perth and had yeah. uh, ex-Kalgoorlie locals in the band. And, and so yeah. we went through about three or four bands and eventually got to these guys. And so I'd never – it was basically a referral of about six different people to get to yeah. this band. And, um, I mean, definitely not a style of music that, you know, is a, a normal uh, – Compliment yeah, to, to us, but yeah. I mean, we we tend yeah, to. Yeah, they certainly they certainly brought their A game, mate, didn't they? <laughs> they were great. They were really good. Yeah. And um, I mean, but I mean, we've always sort of played with bands of various genres, and especially the yeah, heavier yeah. stuff as well, because yeah. it's just. I mean, if we stuck to playing with you know melodic bands or power metal bands, we'd be playing to ten yeah. people every show. 
So, well, that's it. Yeah, you were. I would say they were more the metal core, and you were more power metal on that night. Yeah, so two different styles. But you know, even with the the, the screamo front man, the yeah. they were tight, and they had some some catchy riffs going. They did. A, I don't think they did a Sepultura cover as well. I think off the top yeah. of my head, I can't remember. But um, yeah, well, I got. I got their EP yeah. from the gig there, and I put it. Unfortunately, it's really no no offense to those guys, but it's really badly recorded. Okay, it's, it, it just sounds awful yeah. off the CD, and they've just they've got another one that they've just finished. I was talking to the the guy about that. The stunt, I can't remember his name. Yeah, too long ago, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, you put this one would be better. They've had it like professionally mixed." Well, I think they might have done the EP all themselves. Well, uh, I mean, it sounds gotcha. awful. It sounds all right, but it, it's you know it needs a lot of production, more more production than it had. But yeah, yeah live they were certainly killer. We'll have to. Um, I'll put some links on uh, on yeah. them if anyone's curious to check them out. But they're they're yeah, really nice guys. I mean they yeah they, uh, they. Oh, he was so impressed when I I went up after and said, "God, that was fantastic. Well done." And he's like, "Oh, you know, thanks a lot. Yeah. Really means a, a lot." I mean, it's, it's it's probably the same for any band if someone. Comes and tells you that they just enjoyed what you did. Oh, absolutely! Absolutely, it's, I mean, never it never gets old. I mean, you just no. especially when it's somebody that you you don't recognise or you haven't, or especially yeah. in a place that you potentially haven't played before either. It definitely helps because a couple of it was two of the guys out of the band that used to live in Kalgoorlie, so they yeah. managed to drag a, a couple of mates out as well. But uh, the rest of the guys were all all Perth based and. Um, yeah, I mean they're really they're really nice guys, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the what they do next. So I, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen anything about the new CD, but I'll I'll have a look and find a link so yeah. people can check, not, check it out. It's either coming out very soon. I think they've finished it. They're just yep. having it masked and stuff. But yeah, they're on Facebook, Kimura K I M U R A for people that are listening. Give them a listen if you like. You sort of screamo metal core, but it's yeah, it's really catchy tunes and. I, you know, it takes a bit to impress me. I'm a bit of a a musical snob, I suppose, just because I've listened to so much of it. But, you know, they really impressed me that night. And give them some love on Facebook. I'm yeah. sure they'd like it. I'm sure they'd be uh, quite impressed with the with the plug. Yeah. There you go. You're doing, you're doing your good deed. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a list of here, things, companies I was going to plug <laughs> if, if they came up. But, Sounds no. good. Sounds good. Um, I was just going to go back to um, what you actually do in Norseman. You work as a right. chemist. Yeah, so I'm the. We've, we've got a small analytical lab there where mm. the mill. There's a processing mill where so any rocks or stuff or ore they find with gold, they bring it trucked in with the huge mining trucks that everyone's seen on TV. Yeah. They truck it into the mill and they run all this rock, crush it up down to as fine as they can get it, um, run it through the mill and extract all the gold out of the rock with a process. Uh, um, you may have seen pictures of mills. There's usually six or so huge tanks. We've got ours about maybe 100,000, 150,000 litres yeah, right, per tank. Yeah. And the mill processes about 1,000 tonnes of rock a day. Cool. So... You know, if, if there's one gram of gold per ton in the rock you're processing, you'll get a kilogram of gold out of it, which is, you know, a kilogram of gold's uh, close to a million dollars of, of Australian money. It's not bad. 
So, you know, gold's still by the ounce. Whenever you see it on TV, it's it's usually around $1,500 Australia per ounce, which mm-hmm. I think is 30, 32 grams or something. So it, it's, yeah, it makes a lot of money very quickly, but you have to find the, the rocks that's you know, viable to bring one, if you mine out, like Norseman Mine's got open pit mining, like the super pit in Kalgoorlie yeah. that you saw, and there's also underground mining where they've they're tunneled down into the earth. So the current Norseman underground is about 20 level, and they each run between 10 and 15 kilometres north-south out of Norseman. Right. So it's a, it's a pretty big ants nest under there, and... Yeah, I don't think <laughs> um, it's been going for 138 years. I think so. They're still finding gold there. Sure, you'd have to have some a, uh, pretty pretty decent danger money for working in the underground mines. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sort of having to watch what I say because <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure who's going to hear this, but I'm sure no. I'll tell people that I've been interviewed and I can't really. Yeah, there's things happen. I suppose I suppose I can say. Things happen out there that people are very lucky mm. to, to walk away from, and not a lot, not often. But you know, when things go wrong, they can go really wrong. I guess it's um, it's an extreme. It's definitely an extreme job and extreme elements and circumstances. Yeah. Well, so, mine's, yeah. mine's fairly benign in that I'm I'm basically I'm just outside of Norseman, the town, mm. and we we do the same thing day after day. So. We're not going down into the pits or underground. Like, I've been there a year and a bit now. I haven't even been down underground yet. So yeah. I keep asking the, the geologist, when are you taking me underground? He's a um, Papua New Guinean guy. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, next next weekend. And then he'll go home for the weekend or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. How often um, would you find, uh, like, you, you know, when you're going through the – with the yeah. the rock coming through, how often yeah. would you find like just traces of gold? Would that be something? Oh, daily. daily. Yeah, right. So um, there's three couple of stages mm. of uh, of of looking for gold. I'd say there's first the first stage called costining, where a group will go out with a, just a normal digger, you know, and a, and a front end loader, and they'll dig trenches. Mm. and they'll test along the trench looking for surface gold because the reality of gold is it's it's been there forever already, Mm. (laughs) like when the planet formed, and it's more than likely not at the surface unless there's some sort of, you know, seismic event like an earthquake, which we don't have much, many of, or something like that. Mm. But most of the gold isn't at the surface, but if you find some at the surface... There's a good chance that deeper down there's a lot more gotcha. because it just it leaches down. Being one of the heaviest elements on the planet, it falls towards the centre of the planet with little help. Um, so there's that digging trenches looking for gold. If they get a hit there, they might make a pit there if it's big enough. But yeah, we we constantly see from underground there digging in the, the underground mine at the face of a gold seam. So they're following the seams underground. Okay. So they'll come back from anything from, you know, a couple of grams per tonne. The biggest we've seen is three and a half kilos per tonne. Wow. So, yeah, anything in between there. Depend- and then the only the only thing they have to worry about then is how many tonnes of, of ore that 
rich in gold there is. Is it something that you you would only discover the gold once it's gone through this whole process of of checking it and going through it all, or would it be like, you know, some sometimes the guys who are down there will actually be able to see it? Like, is yeah, that- well, it's a, there's the whole science of geology behind it. So there's they look for certain types of rock, mm. and like most of the rock will be in quartz, like the white marbly stuff that that you see. So any most of the rock out there is quartz mixed with basalt, which is basalt, that black, really hard rock that you yeah. s- they sometimes use it for asphalt. Mm-hmm. And But, yeah, to bear those two sort of mix as molten rock years ago or whenever, that's where, that's where they're coming together is where you're most likely to find the gold because it's being carried with the molten rock. Mm. And when it cools, you get these seams of... Of uh, gold, and sometimes we, you know, we get rocks in and we crush them up, and there's you can see the gold in it. It's visible gold there, and you, you, every time you see it, you're like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of gold!" <laughs> <laughs> or if you're like me, it's like at least this one won't be zero when I test it for gold later, yeah. which is always good. So, you know, we just did drilling. They go out with drill rigs and drop holes 150 meters deep. And bring the sampling, you know, take a sample every metre and bring it back and you can do, you know, hundreds of metres of drilling and hit nothing. Mm. And, you know, when it takes all day for you to prepare 50 samples and all of them are zero, you begin to get a bit sick of doing it after a while. <laughs> I can imagine, definitely. Yeah. Is it um, with, you know, because obviously you're digging up a lot of rock and you yeah. know, the ratio of rock to, to gold is, is yeah. you know, quite sub- quite substantial as far as, you know, it's a, it's a very small ratio. Um, yeah. You know all that other rock, and as you say, you got basalt and and these other and yeah. and uh, what was the other one? Quart that you, that Quart. Uh, yeah, is uh, is that stuff shipped and sold off as well? No, I, I don't know if I've you've seen a photo I've taken in Northern. There's this huge mountain there, like yeah. a man-made mountain. That's the that's the result of the milling process from the last forty years. Oh right, there's like it's basically pulverized rock down like by. The mill, there's a big jaw crusher, which is just these two huge plates that the rocks just fall in, and it just pneumatically crushes it down to smaller rocks. Yeah. And then that goes down into the mill. There's a thing called a sag mill, which is basically a, just a huge tube full of ball bearings. Yeah. Of, you know, ranging from 10-pin bowling ball size down to cricket ball size and smaller. And then the rocks just are rolled around in that like all day to crush them up to a fine powder and then the powder's mixed with water and this slurry's pumped up to those tanks I mentioned before. Yeah. And that's then mixed with uh, cyanide and lime mm. to like to raise the pH to to make the um, extraction of the gold easier, I suppose, because as you know, you probably don't know, but gold is one of the least reactive elements in the universe. Okay. It's very, it's very, very, very stable as a as a as a chemical. Yeah. Well, not as chemical as an element. Yeah. Because it's it's why and it's why it's so valuable for for jewelry and stuff like that. And over the you know, the centuries of human beings, it's all you know. In every culture, it's come up to the the top of the list of most valuable stuff mm. simply because it, it's it's rare, relatively rare, and you could take a lump of gold and put it on the 
on the shelf and come back in two million years, it's still there. Yeah, right. As, yeah. as gold, whereas there's not many elements that do that. And there's, there's basically only three. There's silver, gold, and platinum. So they're the three metals that are ridiculously expensive simply because of their chemical properties of being stable. And like if you make a gold necklace out of gold, it's still a gold necklace in a hundred years' time. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So, so but, as you said, it gets to that point where it mixes. Uh, yeah. Was it to raise the pH level? Yeah. So that's just lime. Yep. So same stuff you put in your garden. It just makes the liquid more basic. Yep. Because what what happened in history, like the, the gold, as I was saying, it's been a valuable asset for as long as history has been written, I suppose. Um, the Romans first came up with a way of of dissolving it mm. to work with it a bit better. They invented this stuff called aqua regia, which you may have heard of. I've heard of, yeah. Yeah, it's a, basically it's a mixture of nitric acid, like concentrated nitric acid and concentrated hydrochloric acid. Mm. So, you know, you don't want to <laughs> gargle the stuff. But it basically... That was the only way that we knew of dissolving gold to get it to react so that we could do something with it or, you know, purify it and isolate it from everything else. Mm. So the Romans used to do that and dissolve up money or gold that they wanted to transport to another city, just put it in barrels and in, what are they called, gourds or whatever. Probably is gourd. There's my asterisk comics coming back. <laughs> the gourds. And they'd fill up these gourds with this aqua regia with the gold dissolved in it yeah. and, and truck it hundreds and thousands of miles by horse and cart and bandits would stop them looking for gold or anything of value in their cart. There'd just be this liquid that, you know, if they tasted it, it'd burn their mouth off, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, for, you know, however long it was before people called on, they could transport gold with impunity, basically. Yeah. And to get it out, you just tip that aqua regia into... Seawater, I think they all, was all they did—a barrel of seawater—and you get a huge blob of gold coming out. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, the process has improved somewhat from zero BC, <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays we use cyanide to make a complex with the gold in in water, and it dissolves each atom of gold, and you know it's about a hundred percent efficient if you can if you can get enough cyanide in there, which isn't a problem usually, but it's sort of the reason the mills are where they are too because cyanide's just toxic as hell. You don't want to mm. gargle that either. So don't put it, it in a beer you know, No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's very toxic and, you've, you know, everyone's heard from James Bond films or spy films yeah, of yeah. people taking a cyanide capsule. Yeah. It really does kill you that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so I use, in the lab, we we do the same the same extraction, just on a smaller scale. So while the mill's processing a 1,000 tonnes of rock a day, we're doing about, oh, we've got a machine that does 52 assays. I know Shane Bailey's now uh, doing his Jimmy Smith at me. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I talk about doing gold assays, like on Facebook or anything, he'll post a photo of Jimmy Smith. <laughs> just because it's like SJ it's spinning it does make me laugh it never gets old <laughs> especially when he photo he photoshopped him onto we get these tubs of um, cyanide tablets yeah. that we use for the assay and he 
photoshopped Jimmy Smith onto the label and stuck it back on. Did that make me laugh? He's, uh, I, I got to say, he's he's one creative person. <laughs> Actually, between the both of you, you, you should you should really form your own uh, empire with uh, you know, graphic well, design and. Uh, I went. Yeah. I went to his shop on. Thursday, yeah, last week, and I walk in. I'm like, Shane, how you going? And I look over, and he's sitting on his laptop. He's photoshopping the head of a dog <laughs> onto a lady, and the lady's head onto the dog. And you know, I didn't think anything of it. It was just normal. Just, just Shane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, photoshopping this dog's head on this woman. I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of stuff that goes on. Oh, man. It, well, even, sorry, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but just yeah. some of the things that he was telling me about all of the um, the Nigerian scam stuff, because yeah. he told me to uh, to, re- to bring that oh. up with him, and uh, and to s- some of the extents that he was doing all this online sort of uh, yeah. reverse scamming stuff was, was just incredible. So he's, uh, he certainly gets creative, that's for sure. I mentioned that to him, like, when I went to the shop, he, he, he was saying, oh, that he did an interview with you a few days before, and he was he was he was a bit dark about it, but like he was, oh, and and he said that you talked to like he talked to you, and I, I sort of like put my hands up and said, and what did he say that I told you? I didn't tell him anything bad. <laughs> like I was quite relaxed, and yeah, he says, oh, I told him to ask you to ask me about something which may come up later on. Oh, did, just, did he give you a hint of what that would be? Yeah, oh, okay. one thing. Yeah. And I just said, well, I can't. You know, what am I meant to say? That I don't even remember it. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. oh. I'm just going to say, I know it happened. Oh, so. well, I've, I've got that I've got that right at oh, the yeah. end, so I'll throw yeah. that in at the end and see if we're, we're yeah. on the same wavelength. He didn't give me any context at all. I went, okay, well, I can, sounds, this is uh, the thing. I can't either. I, I just, you know, as, a, as an enjoyer of the amber liquid yourself, <laughs> there's, there's certain times where you have a lot of it oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. and people tell you the next day what happened and you just have to put your hand up and go, okay. Well, I guess uh, being a chemist yourself, you'd probably understand, uh, you know, the mixture of certain chemicals and volumes yeah. of it and whatnot and the reactions that uh, that come of it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll, funny. we'll touch on that later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were talking about these, what do you call them? Assays. Oh, assays. Assays, so, yeah. An assay is just you're trying to quantify how much of something is in something else. Yeah. So you do, you do an assay. So we do a gold assay. We've got this machine that some amazingly clever guy up in, Queensland uh, invented a few years back, which basically miniaturizes the whole mill and it does the exact same reaction but does 52 assays at once, which really is helpful because you know there's so many samples. We had a backlog just a few weeks ago of nearly 2,000 samples oh, wow. where we just couldn't keep up with what's coming in, which was like we knew they were coming, but you know, I don't want to bag the place I work too much. But we had <laughs> staffing, we had staffing issues for. The whole time I've been there, basically, it was yeah. basically one person doing everything in the lab, yeah. and got to the point where you know I'm usually a nice guy, but I just got to the end of my tether. Took a year, and I was like, you know, stuff this. I'm just going to give back, <laughs> <laughs> give back to the community. So, yeah, because Pete, like the mining is, it's not a, it's a multi-tiered sort of. Undertaking, I suppose you'd say, like, and by that I mean the educational levels of people in throughout the whole industry are from, you know, there's some of the dumbest people you'll ever meet, but there's also some really smart people. Mm. And there's, it's, it's top, 
it's it's heavy at one end of that scale. The type that I will leave to your imagination. <laughs> so it's basically skills based. It's very much like building industries enough where if, you, if you've got the ticket for driving a truck or you know, driving something else or using a crane, those sort of people are invaluable, but they they're not usually the sharpest tools in the shed. I was going to ask you um, later on, but this is probably a good little quick little tangent yeah. to go off. Given that you've got probably a population of you know roughly two hundred people in town, and yeah. a lot of people have to stay out there for long periods of yeah. time, if you've got a large you know section of those people uh, described as you said before yeah. in their in their, uh, in their downtime, I'm sure that uh, things get a little bit a uh, little bit loopy out there. Yeah, all well, that's yeah. I when I first moved there, I was thrown in the mix with all of these people that. Like you've never met people like this. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. If if you come from a major city, you haven't met people that work out in the mine, and most of them are, are career miners. They've they've either grown up out there, or you know, they they haven't needed you know any qualifications from unis, or some of them not even high school. But they've just worked their way through the ranks, I suppose you'd say, and they have a lot of experience in whatever they're good at, but a lot of them have no people skills at all. <laughs> right. The first place I went to work, there was this guy there, and I, I struggled to believe that someone that grotesque could exist. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, he was just... Like you, I struggled to comprehend that he had to have had a mother who <laughs> would be absolutely horrified. Like, if I acted like this guy, my mother would be horrified. And just, just the dregs of humanity, really. Is it, what, just his mannerisms or his no, outlook yeah. on life or just a, a Both. bit of everything? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I could tell you a story. Like, this is, I hadn't met him before and he tells me a story. Okay. And it's, I'm not... You know, it's, it's not pretty. I don't know if you want me to recant here. Yeah. Okay. It's, it revolves around the bustling metropolis of Mika Sara. Okay. Which is infamous in Kevin Bloody Wilson songs and things like yep, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's Mika Sara's a lot like uh, Kalgoorlie. It's a regional centre, but the region is incredibly sparse, and Mika Sara would be as big as Norseman, where I am. It's basically central Western Australia, like smack bang in the centre. Okay. He's saying, oh, there's two pubs there. And, like, most of these towns have a really big Aboriginal problem. Yeah. Like, the Aboriginals get a lot of welfare, mm. like a lot, and they don't have to do anything for it, and a lot of them take this for granted. Mm. And they're drunk pretty much 24-7 mm. and cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. So this guy was saying, oh, I was at the pub in Mekathara and I, there was this Aboriginal girl there and she was pretty hot. Mm, yeah. And he's saying, so I started buying her drinks because a lot of the pubs won't serve the Aboriginal. Oh, right, after okay. There's a lot of drinking laws out there specifically targeted to stop them drinking for at least a couple of hours a day. Yeah. So this guy goes, oh, I was buying her drinks and slipping them to her and then she got really drunk and I dragged her off and we were heading back to my like his flat or whatever he's living in and he's like oh I was gonna you know I was gonna get lucky and but then she was so drunk she just passed out and just fell you know flat on her face on the pavement and he's like oh you know I, I'd spent like 50 bucks on alcohol for her so you know I just lifted up her dress and away I went oh. I'm like really wow yeah and that's a special type of person right there oh my god yeah. And then, you know, his topic of conversation was sort of how many times he could wank himself in a in a 24-hour period. And, so, but, and this is someone you, know, you work with? 
Yeah. And oh, I had geez. to, you know, had to interact with this guy on a human level when he was just scraping above the human level mark. Oh. And he this, was just... Is this just someone who's, as you said before, like uh, an example of like somebody who's just sort of grown up in these sort of areas oh, of their yeah. life and that's, I, that's just it. That's just life for them. I can't, I can't really give you specifics. No, I didn't no. know him that well. <laughs> <laughs> he's not the. He's the sort of person. I, I remember saying to someone, "If I saw him back in the world of civilization, I would, I would steer clear. So, you know, so far clear of him. Yeah, right. Because he's just, he was just abhorrent. He really was. Wow. Just disgusting in every sense of the word. And there's a lot of people like this out there. So mm. the the workforce for mining is very fluid. Like, it's, there's a lot of ebb and flow of of workers. Mm. So where I am, there's probably a hundred people that work at the mill. I could name probably five that are are still there from when I started. Mm. So there's a lot of people come and go because everybody's on a casual contract. Nobody's got any job security at all. Yeah. Like I could get back there on Wednesday, and they say, "Oh, we don't need you. Go back home." Yeah, right. And like half of me would be like, "Woohoo!" And the <laughs> other half would be like, "No, oh. yeah, should have got to find find more work." Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I, I don't live in the camp in Norseman. I kicked and screamed basically because I was working somewhere else and got headhunted to go there and mm. promised. The thing I've found out since working there is you get promised the earth yeah. and then nothing delivered. <laughs> so like I left a really good job to go there when they said they would match the, the deal and I'd got nothing, nothing matched at all. Hence, I'm stuck there most of the time. So I kicked and screamed and got a house. So I've got a little house. Out. It's way, it's like the furthest house out of the town, actually. But you know, <laughs> a little bit of um, peace and quiet away from yeah. Away so from I, your, your mates. Yeah. So I <laughs> I deal with them on a professional level daily, and yeah. you know, there's I have got a few people there that I would call my friends, but you know, you could count them on one hand. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of them, you just don't want to. You know, you deal with them in business hours, so to speak, and. Mm. Then, like for instance, my phone. It's there's a very few people that live and work with me that can call me after six pm. Yeah, yeah. And so the phone just shuts everybody out except for my allowed list, and you know that's basically the people I work directly with in the lab. My boss and my family members. <laughs> Everyone else is like, yeah, see you at breakfast. I don't <laughs> want to. Don't want to know you for the rest of the. And the same with. When I have my days off, it's five. I do a nine and five roster normally, mm. so nine nine days straight and then five days off straight. Yeah. And some of the days I don't even leave the house. Yeah. There is nothing to do there. I can't. People just think, oh, surely there's something. There is nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Like I said before, there's a pub and a supermarket. Yeah. And 200 kilometres north or south to the next town. Because I like, uh, you've probably seen the, the photos that I take. Yeah. Every now and again. That's the one plus out there is that the night sky out there is just amazing. Mm. You just can't even describe it <laughs> to somebody. You have to see it like once in your life. Just go out to the middle of nowhere and just look at the sky. Yeah, that was one of the things that I sort of I thought about before going out to Kalgoorlie was just to yeah. be able to get to a spot where you could just really see it. And by the time we got there, we literally got there in the afternoon, as you know, and played the yeah. show and then went back, you know, early hours in the morning to where we we're staying and then off we we're going 
go in, you know, three or four hours later, and that yeah. was it. So, uh, but I, that well, was... even even Kalgoorlie's too much light. Yeah, well, like... that's it. Because I remember looking up in the sky out there and just went, "Oh, there's 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 too much light." There's yeah. yeah you, you well, that's like when it. there's like you you follow the moon phases. When mm. there's a new moon, like there's no moon at all. It's completely eclipsed in the Earth's shadow. So there's no moon in the sky. You can be driving in Norseman, turn off your car lights. You literally can't see anything yeah, right. but the stars and trees. It is that dark, and it's just amazing what what you can see when there's no light pollution around. It's just amazing. Well, it's no wonder people get so uh, shut off from from the bigger picture and get so self absorbed in their lives. Yeah. And, and people that are you know, especially from a, a religious point of view and whatnot, and think that there's nothing more than than what what's here now and <laughs> your God or whatever. And because yeah. half the time, most of these people are living in you know a, a metro area or in a town where it's just it's all light pollution. Well, so that, I think if I think if we didn't have the lights and everyone looked up in the sky a bit more and yeah. noticed what was above us, then they'd probably take a step back and calm down yeah. a little bit. I'll yeah. I'll give you a to put on this on on the comments of this I'll give you a, a photo that I took right next to my house and it's it's got the southern cross which most people can see mm. in in the city you, you can probably see that because it's yep. quite bright it's got the southern cross and then the Magellan cloud of the Milky Way behind it oh right and it's just like yeah it's 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 my phone background it's that good <laughs> you, know it's, it a, and, you know it's a good shot when the yeah, well, my friend out there, I had a, a friend out there, she's gone now, a French girl, that took this photo, basically the same place where mine's from, but, geez, hers is fantastic. Mm. She does, she sometimes uploads stuff to National Geographic because oh, right. she, she likes photography, and I'd always liked it, but it is a very expensive hobby. Mm. And, and you know, so I just thought, oh, I've got the money, I'll, I'll you know, drop the coin because I've, I've always wanted to do it. Yeah, and you you take these photos, and the, after the first one that comes out, you just say, "I don't care what this costs; it's worth it," because <laughs> they're just that impressive. Yeah, you should but, um, you should look to do something with your photos one day. Then, yeah, well, I'm I'm looking at getting them printed. Like I, I would love to have a few of them up at my house. I've, my house is very sparse, except for all my degrees on the on the wall. Yeah, some of them are that. And uh, people have said, "Oh, you should make a calendar," and I'd buy it, and so would fifty of my friends. And so yeah, it's definitely something to, to look at yeah. it's just the place where i am it's not really feasible oh yeah i'm absolutely. very it's very isolated yeah. so and like i like when we were talking about doing this i was saying oh can you wait till i'm back in adelaide because the, there's no internet to speak of really it's all wi-fi wireless which yeah. is sporadic and it really is isolated and that's that's the thing people probably don't understand about the fifo people or the mining community is they are cut off for a lot long time long periods of time mm. and the isolation does get to, and I was the same. I didn't realise before I went there. Like you hear about saying, "Oh, this guy that was a FIFO fly and fly out for those playing at home." They got so depressed they committed suicide. Mm. And you're like, "Oh!" And people just go, "Oh, what's there to be upset about? You're earning shit tons of cash, and you know you've got a good job that pays a lot." And, but yeah, you you literally get that stuff. So so you get the high wage, and you get a you know, a job for a lot of years, but at the expense of everything else in yeah. your life. Mm. There's no work-life balance. It's just a work balance. There's none. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. The, the price you pay for that salary is, uh, it is not worth it. <laughs> That's coming, like I'm currently doing it. Yeah. The, the stuff you have to give up in order to get it, and it, it really, you, I, I can't do it for my whole life. I really can't. 
Yeah. I can't do it for much longer, but, you know, while it's on offer, you oh. just sort of have to find your, your own way of dealing with it because the isolation is a killer. Well, I think when you when you live in a, in a major city or, you know, at least a populated yeah. area, you sort of, you know, you, you tend to rely on other people to keep you yeah. engaged and entertained and fulfilled yeah. and whatnot. And I think when you're put into a, an area of like, yeah, as you said, like just extreme isolation to a degree, you've really yeah. got to look back inwards and find tools that you can use yourself where you have to rely on yourself to keep yourself yeah. sane and and content well, and yeah. mindful and, and, and whatnot. And so it's not luckily, an easy thing. On one hand, I'm luckily able to do that because I'm single. Yep. And have been for the majority of my life, basically. A lot of my hobbies, just out of pure necessity, don't need someone else. So, but you know, I've had you know, relationships in the past where that's become an issue. I think that I'm, I'm, I can have fun without anybody there, and I'm so used to not having to to worry about someone else. I suppose you say, or yeah. you know, that sort of relationship dynamic I haven't grown up with. Mm-hmm. So I've been, you know, single for a long. time long periods of time in between relationships that didn't last nearly as long as the, just the singleness. But mm. on the flip side of that is it, it, it takes it really to the extreme. Like I'm used to doing stuff by myself, but out there you're really by yourself. There's, <laughs> you know, a handful of people that you would call friends and they can leave at any time. So it's like long-lasting friendships are really hard to forge out there because you're not sure if you'll be there in a week or they'll be there in a week. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's very standoffish and very guarded, I suppose, and, and brutally, not honest, I'd say, but just asshole, brutal assholishness. I yeah, yeah. It's probably easier so, for a lot of people just to just to act like that than try and yeah. you know, break down the and walls a bit and get to know other like people. The, the crap I had to deal with with my friend, the, the French girl, mm. Um, like she was a young, good-looking French girl, and she just popped it from all sides because it's a it's virtually an estrogen wasteland out there. Yeah. There's <laughs> for every thousand guys, there might be one girl, and if, mm. if she dares stick her head up in the the, you know, the male-dominated world of mining, it's you know she they are they're just treated like pieces of meat, basically. Yeah, walking walking vaginas is a term I've heard bantered around, and. You know, they, I'm I'm certainly wasn't brought up in that that way to see women as that sort. Of, but that is the purveying attitude out there. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of people just say exactly what they're thinking when they really shouldn't. Yeah. But no one's ever told them not to until. Mm. So you know, I've had people talking about me that I had no idea who they were. Overhear them talking about me in the mess hall, and I'm just like, you know, you just can't believe that they're that brazen, and it's simply because they just don't give a fuck. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's a hard. It's a hard uh, career, and you have to really. Uh, you either have to really want to be there, or you have to really. You actually need to be there for some reason. So much like me, I'm was out there purely for financial reasons. So yeah. I had to claw my way back from financial ruin, and now that I'm not there anymore, thank goodness that I can sort of look at easing my way, transitioning out of it. I suppose is what I'd say I was doing. I think. Um, I mean, even from the financial side or putting that aside no doubt when you get to the end of your you know your time there there's probably still a lot of things that have been beneficial regardless of how how extreme and and uh challenging the the whole environment's been well yeah i don't know if it makes you more or less tolerant of people um i think i've definitely become less tolerant but that's mainly with the people i 
forced to work with who are just there's seriously a lot of people again I don't know how much I can say here but there's a, there's a lot of people that they're they're just collecting a paycheck that's all mm. they're doing yeah. they're not they've been there so long they don't feel like they have to do anything yeah yeah they're just the furniture and you know everything's so hard anything you want to do your job properly it's it's basically luck whether you get it or not whether the management wants to help you mm. so luckily the mill the lab is sort of crucial <laughs> to the running of the mine so when we want stuff we ask for it it may take up to a year to get it but it will eventually come <laughs> oh, it's no joke it took us a year to get this like the, the samples that come in we have to dry them because um, if they're wet it affects the assay result mm. obviously so we had to get this oven the, the, there's these industrial scale ovens, and we needed one. We asked for it and asked for it and asked for it, and it, it finally came earlier this year, about May it came, but we'd been asking for it since May the year before. Oh, so, it, everything takes a long... It eventually gets done, but only when it affects someone directly, you know, in management. Yeah, that's it, yeah. No, it's, I think it's probably the same in, in a lot of other oh. industries, but probably a little bit more extreme in, in yours. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I just lost it the other week because um, I don't know you might have seen on Facebook. I said I had a worker that within an hour managed to knock themselves out and put themselves in hospital. Oh, no, I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been working pretty much by myself in the lab, and the the, the output for one person say just as a number, say fifty samples per day, because the process to do the assay is quite long. Mm probably nine or ten steps from yeah. start to reading it at the end. Yeah. We were always constantly getting stick for not doing enough samples per day and you, know, you scream to your blue in the face and sending out daily reports showing that when there's one person there, the output is this much and it, it doesn't get any higher. So if you want it to go higher, you have to give me more staff type thing. So we had this person working for us that just what they, their heart was not in it at all. Mm. So they really didn't want to be there. They didn't want to do anything. So eventually that just drags the whole ship down with them, especially when you're you know, people that have managed other people. Yeah. You've got to try and remain positive and encourage the people to do their job, but when they just don't want to do it and get to the point where you're just banging your head against the wall, you just have to get rid of them. You know, If you're doing the work of one person but you've got two people there, one of them doesn't need to be there. Yeah, so this person got booted and they, they kept wanting to come back because, again, where we are, we're quite isolated. The workforce is also quite small. Yeah. And there is a point where someone's not suitable for a job. It doesn't matter who they are or who else is available. If they're not suitable, they're not suitable. Yeah. And, like, again, with mining, there's the added thing of you're working with dangerous stuff. And you know, whether it be explosives or, or cyanide or you know, really hot ovens and things like this, there's the potential there for people to get killed mm. quite easily. And you know, if it's a person's not heart's not in it, doesn't want to pay attention, doesn't want to, you know, not mind's not on the job, but it just raises the, the stakes somewhat, makes it more likely that something's going to happen. Yeah, this person, they were there for an hour. They managed to do a, a tiny little bit of work within that hour, took three cigarette breaks, <laughs> went out to make a phone call and then come, I was working away, I saw them come back into the lab out of the corner of my eye, I look over and they're like cradling their arm mm. 
And I said, what, what's going on? And the person said, oh, I just fell over. Anyway, long story short, she'd fully dislocated her shoulder, like fully out of the socket. All right. And I went, how did you do that? And she just said, oh, I was walking about past the back of the ute. Mm. And we got these Land Cruiser, flatbed Land Cruiser. Yeah. And her sleeve got caught on the bar, the tie bar, where you tie down the oh, yeah. tarpaulin or whatever. Yeah. And she said, I was walking past and my sleeve got caught and as I walked past it, Yanked me back, and she sort of face butted the steel tray of the because she's not she's only a short girl, about yeah. five foot two or so. Face butted the steel tray, knocked herself out, and as she fell backward, her arm was still caught on this thing, and it just popped her arm straight oh. out of the. Yeah, I didn't see it happen, but yeah, it God. probably would have been well, it definitely would have hurt, but it uh, would have been quite comical. The to- oh. To, I mean, I've up. broken, I broke both my shoulders at once before, and wow. that did not that did not tickle at all. <laughs> and she was she was hurting, <laughs> like you know when someone's hurt, and you can tell, yes, you are hurt, because you can't fake that you're not. And what she was only there uh, for about an hour before that happened. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, how the hell did you break, the, How did you break two shoulders? Oh, mountain bike crash. When I, I lived in Germany, yeah, and I, again, I doing a lot of single, I was actually out with friends that day, but we were doing mountain biking in the little hills next to the Rhine River, mm-hmm. and you know, I was coming down a hill, and I, I went through this little patch of mud, and the tyre just slipped out from under the bike, and I was doing about 60 k's an hour, and I just landed. Bike slipped. I remember seeing the ground come up and thinking, oh, I'm going to slam my face into that. Oh. So I sort of, I tucked my, tucked my head under my, other shoulder, and I just went, you know, end over barrel rolling down this hill oh. for about 50 metres, and I, yeah, stood up, and I didn't have a, a, a right arm. No. I looked where my right arm should be, and it just wasn't there, because oh. <laughs> I'd snapped right through the shoulder blade, everything, oh. collarbones, and the, the whole arm had moved across my chest to the other side of my, like, right next to my other shoulder, basically, yeah. and I couldn't move my arm, because the other arm was broken as well. Oh. So I had to put my chin in between the shoulder blades and sort of push the right shoulder back over to the right side of my body with all the cracking and, and I just fainted. It hurt so oh, much. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have even got that yeah. far. I think as soon as I saw yeah. my arm in a different position, not that would have been me. Oh, I, I must have been adrenalizing the something fierce because yeah. I've, I've fainted into a thistle bush too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was very Monty Python from all. But yeah, I spent four and a half months in traction in oh. hospital. So, yeah. Oh, don't my go. See, it was actually I saw in my Facebook feed on one of the mountain bike groups I followed some guy had done the same thing and put a photo of himself up there, and I'm like, oh, you know, flashback. Couldn't even look at it a for that long. Too close to home. Yeah, wow. oh, I really, I did a number on myself. So I assume that was probably the last time you ever did mountain bike riding. No, no, I've got. Uh, it took a while. There was definitely a psychological barrier. Yeah. But I'm sitting here in my lounge room. I've got two mountain bikes behind me in the lounge room here <laughs> that I've bought since then. I still do. I, I, I wish I had one over where I work, but I, you're just too tired usually to do anything. Yeah. When you have your days off, you just want to do nothing. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, if you're working long hours, it's um, yeah. you won't do anything but, but move. Well, that's the thing. It's a, I get up at five yeah. to go and have breakfast in the mess, then the work day is six till six, and then... Between six and seven thirty dinner, like you can go to the mess again mm. and have dinner. You get home at you know anywhere from seven to eight o'clock at night, and yeah, you literally last half an hour longer, and you're you're falling asleep. 
That's incredible. So, yeah. And if, it's and, long. And what did you do, 24 days straight? Yeah, well, you, yeah, here? last, yeah. So I started on about the, I think it was the 11th or 9th of September, mm. and I went to the 11th of, Oof. basically nearly a month straight. And yeah, by two, two and a half weeks in, I, I didn't know what planet I was on anymore. Oh, so, I came and began. I remember... Yeah. I remember writing on Facebook, like, first day over, you know, 23 more to go. <laughs> and I'd kept that up for about two days. And then it's like, oh, tomorrow I'm going home. And it's like, where's the three weeks in between? Oh, well, at least. It's just, it's just a blur. At least, at least it was a blur. I mean, yeah. if I had to work more than five days in a row, and I'm just I'm just doing normal nine to five sort of stuff. Yeah. I would just go crazy. But uh, to do twenty twenty four days straight with with you know what's that twelve twelve hour work days plus yeah. your, plus your meals like in the mess you know either yeah. side as well. I mean if you're getting yeah. home at eight o'clock and you've got to be up five, that doesn't give you a great deal of wind down time. No. Or to well, do yeah, anything. I try to yeah, I try to go to bed by ten o'clock. Usually, I don't even make ten o'clock. Yeah, because you have to get up at five. Like ten o'clock is seven hours of yeah. sleep. Because yeah. like it is no joke. You, you put your head on the pillow and you're out. Mm. It's like literally seconds later, and you wake up when your alarm goes off. <sighs> and there's a lot of fatigue. Like you, you do get really tired. And, oh, I can imagine. Or even just doing a, a in a normal work week, let alone that many yeah. days straight, they'd just be absolutely grueling. Yeah, I, I did. The job before this one, I did three weeks on, one week off, yeah. and that was brutal too. Like, it's too long. You can't work that long and have that shorter time off to do it again. Yeah. Well, you just be so, getting over over the, the yeah. ex- exhaustion, and then you're ready to ready to kick back into it again. So it's, yeah. it's like, so, sort of like people that go away on holiday for, for a week or two each yeah. year, and just as they're starting to really relax and get into it, then they, they're getting on the plane to go home. Yeah. Well, that's the same. I have five days off. Mm. Tuesday night, I'll go to bed at the normal time and I'll try and sleep in mm. and you just can't. Yep. You just wake up. Like Even if you woke up at 6.30, that's an hour and a half sleeping <laughs> from normal. Yeah. But you're awake then and you're like, oh, what should I... What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> so I just, yeah, I watch a lot of TV and I get, you know, care packages sent to me yeah. from uh, Mr. Bailey. <laughs> USB stick of love. <laughs> so, yeah, because again, there's a very, there's the internet out there is yeah, just... sporadic and, you know, Tony Abbott's internet is alive and well in Norseman. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's, again, it's that gouging of mining workers. But yeah. it's, I've, I've got a Telstra Wi-Fi modem thing, mm. but it's $100 for 10 gigabytes of data. Right. And you have you've got ninety days to use it, oh. so it's really expensive. Yeah, absolutely. And like you have to pay it because there's no no other option. That's it. That's the only thing there. And that's what keeps you sane, honestly, is that being able to connect back to your friends who mm. are you know three thousand kilometres away it keeps you sane. And that luck, you know, before I said, oh, if something important happens, it's usually the bachelor, or <laughs> you know, that's because. I'm watching this show. I've got very little interest in past bagging it to hell. <laughs> and a friend of mine who's now in Melbourne, we're, we're just texting how bad this, this uh, show is, mm. making wisecracks about it. And that, that's really one of the highlights of my week. <laughs> I don't know. She, she might hear this. I can't, I can't hype it too much. <laughs> no, she's, 
she's not just that. She's like a lot of people on Messenger and stuff, I'll, I'll just text them out of the blue mm. and just start talking to them. And you just let go all this pinned up stuff and I've got a few friends that just let me do it which is good and, yeah. and the friend of mine I watch Bachelor and Bachelorette with well I can't Bachelorette just no <laughs> <laughs> the Bachelor I, you know, I'd like to get your take on this yeah. seeing as you're a seeing as you're in a relationship yeah does your significant other who I've never met Jess is that yeah. her yeah does she watch any interest in the Bachelor or Bachelorette no, she's got a couple of friends that are obsessed with it, yeah. but no, she's um, luckily for me uh, hasn't dabbled yeah. in in that uh, like that I'm, I'm the same. Like reality shows don't don't really interest me past how unrealistic they are. Yeah. it's like the the biggest oxymoron ever. Is that <laughs> the Bachelor? I could sort of understand because it's a guy mm. who've got fifteen odd women. Yeah. Try and he's got to choose which one he likes and take them on dates and stuff. That I can understand because it's somewhat realistic. Yeah. But the other, the flip side of it was this bachelorette mm. where you've got this, you know, girl that's an absolutely stunning girl, mm. 11 out of 10, who's got 14 guys vying for her attention. <laughs> and she's saying, Oh, I want to take you out on a romantic date. I'm, I'm saying to this friend of mine, uh, Alison, I said, this is just right. This would never happen. <laughs> it's like, you know, how many romantic dates did, did Jess pick you up and take you out on? <laughs> I'm guessing you could say none. <laughs> not, not, where, not where it was a, a, an instigation on It's just on the it. wrong... No, it's, it's, it's not a traditional uh, sort of approach. Yeah. No, not well, all. that's what she eventually said, that. She goes, yeah, it's a bit... It's just cultural that it doesn't happen. I said, yeah, yeah but it's just... I can't. It's just bizarro world to me. It's like I wonder if it's like the, a, a bit of a fantasy, like for women to watch The Bachelorette, because they can fantasize over being the center of attention of fifteen guys, where they can well, pick and choose I dates. Said, and like I said, I said this to Alison. I said this. I don't think this would ever happen. Like girls that good looking are getting constantly hit on. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah. So they do have their choice of these guys, mm. but to single them out, saying, "Yeah, I want to." single you out and you out and you out. Um, I said, that would never happen. And I said, asked her, I said, how often have you asked the guy out? Yeah. And she goes, oh, I did it once. <laughs> Sorry, Alison, we're going to spill your story here. Yeah. <laughs> um, she said, I'd, I'd done it once, but I'm pretty sure he thought I was asking him out for someone else. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> but that, that, that obviously is... Uh... As you said, it's one of your highlights of the week, just to keep you keep you saying a bit of social yeah. interacting. And it's, interaction. It, it's it just happens to be the Bachelorette that we're talking about, but yeah. it could well be anything. And and it's just that interaction with her that keeps me sane, basically, because I don't want to sound like some sort of elitist snob. But the the type of person I deal with in my job from day to day is totally not the type of person I I'm used to being. Or like you know, I'm, I'm highly educated, you know, highly educated and somewhat clever, and I'm I'm in the absolute minority out there. <laughs> well, so, I think um, even well, at least for me, I was, I was always perplexed when uh, I meet people that you know work work a nine to five job, you know, a, a full time yeah. job, and their social circles are their work colleagues. So whoever oh, they work with are their are their best yeah. friends, and so they interact 
constantly over it. The cycle continues all through the weekend, same people. And for oh. me, I've got to, I've got to, I have to keep the world separate. I cannot, like if I yeah. see someone's name pop up or like even if I get a, a friend requ- request through Facebook and somebody that I've worked with, you know, yeah. everyone's pleasant. I, re- I get along with people, you yeah. know, and whatnot, but I just, I cringe a little bit because it's like, oh, yeah. the, the, the world's, I, the world's a blending. How, how can I keep this separate? I'm exactly the same. Yeah. There's very few people I work with that I friend on Facebook. Mm. Very few. Because you have to have that barrier where you can rant about them. Because <laughs> That's it. You know. and, and I think for a lot of people, I mean, unless unless you're one of the, the lucky few where you, you, you work in some form of industry or, or job that's, mm. you know, you've got an absolute passion for and that is your life, it's your life calling yeah. and whatnot, then you could probably bridge the two worlds together because that's that's your whole world. But for yeah. a lot of people, you know, the work is work is a means. It's a means to fuel the rest yeah. of your life. And, and I think when I start Do seeing people outside of work, I just associate yeah. bad, bad thoughts of being at work if I see them on the weekend. I've I got another good story about that. Oh, yeah. Lawyers. If you know any lawyers, mm. that is exactly what I dated. Like when I went to Germany, I had a German girlfriend. Yeah. And she was a lawyer. Well, she still is probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was studying law then. And the, the lawyers just do not hang around anyone else that isn't in law. Yeah, right. They just, they just can't. Mm. Because I remember being at a party that I just dragged along to. Everyone there was a lawyer except me. And, mm. you know, you're getting asked questions, you know, what type of law do you study? And I'm like, I don't. And this one girl, I had her, like, questioning her life because, one, she couldn't talk English. Mm. And, two, I wasn't a lawyer and I could speak German. Yeah. And she didn't know how to talk to me about anything that wasn't law. And she actually said to me, I, I don't know how to talk to you. And she just turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. And then I yeah, went and found my girlfriend and said, huh, I'm, I'm bored. Can I leave? <laughs> She's like, oh, no, come and talk to this guy. He's a you know, contract lawyer. I'm like, so, yeah, we broke up. <laughs> and, again, I broke up because I was too Australian. Oh, is that was that... Was that the reason? That was the reason. Oh, really? Well, yeah, Germans and Australians, you're battling uphill most of the time, I think. I think um, without, yeah, without stereotyping too much, and I know a lot of of German people that I get along with, but it's definitely from a cultural point of view, and um, I think think even even from a humour aspect and an outlook on life, it's very different, and they've got definitely a different approach to their (laughs) humour. And the way that they interact with people, and, and what, very you, regiment, very robotic at times as well. And talking of yeah. their humour, yeah. Did you find that the thing they find the funniest is people being hurt, like physical humour, like funniest home videos where the kid oh, whacking really? his dad in the in the nads with a golf club? That's <laughs> hilarious to them. <laughs> well, to be honest, to be honest, there's there's a lot of people that probably. Uh, I like that in Australia as well, but uh, yeah, yeah. But it is I, I've, I think um, when we were well, not when I was last in Germany, but one of the times I was in Germany where um, I was watching just trying to decipher German TV, and there yeah. was heaps of those types of shows on there. Yeah. But the, the weirdest thing that I found with their humor was, um, well, I don't even know if they think it's funny, but they think it's really cool. Like, yeah, their sense of, you know, how like uh, oh, I'm just trying to think of the best way to describe this, but. You know, when you in Western culture, like when someone gives the definition of something that's cool, you know, whether it's yeah. fashion or music or whatever, yeah. they're a lot for a lot of them or the people that I've 
I've met, a, a lot of the definition of cool is really, um, really awkward and tacky and very. <laughs> Oh, I'm just trying to think of a... Bizarre? Yeah, yeah. Like, they've got... um, There's there's a proper word for it, but the... Like the German beer music, um, what do they call it? Not yeah. polka, but um, ah, oh, just a, the umpa. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, there's Bavarian a, folk music type thing. Yeah, and and I've and I have, I've got a really good friend of mine that lived in Germany for a couple of years. Um, yeah. On exchange, and he was telling me all about it, and I I saw a couple of these performances on TV, and they got these really really old guys who are apparently really famous in Germany. And they do this yeah. sort of this type of music, but it's with to like a techno dance beat, and <laughs> and like there's flashing yeah. lights, it's like everyone's on pills, yeah. and it's but it's this Bavarian style, you know, umpa sort of music. Yeah, that's and, the um, And apparently these people are so famous, and so I was asking yeah. my friend, I said, "What's the go with this?" And they said, "Yeah, the Germans love it. Like they said, you'll be at a at a bar or you know something like a beer hall or whatever, and this music comes on and." Everybody yeah. gets into yeah. it. They love yeah. it. Yeah, there's not really the the same sort of thing. I can't think of probably the closest thing would be like if you had a pub and someone starts playing up there Kazali or something. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that everybody knows and you know up there Kazali. They're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was. I know exactly what you mean. Well, I guess. I guess. I mean, you know, we we we're pretty weird ourselves, and we've got all our stupid yeah. stupid things that we sing along to, and then you've got like those those folk artists. Or, you know, I'm I'm really giving them a lot of credit by calling them folk artists, but you know, like Kevin Bloody Wilson and stuff like that. Yeah. Which you know, it's obviously a lot of humour put into it. But I'm sure for for a German, you know, that would come here. Well, we we got people like like Slim Dusty and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like pub with no beer. Stuff. Most people would know that yeah. in Australia. Yeah. And they yeah they definitely have their own pavilion songs that like if you've been to Oktoberfest they're just ringing out of every pavilion at Oktoberfest and you feel like such a you know a failure because you don't know them because you're not German. <laughs> Can you imagine like, Slim Dusty with a techno beat though? Yeah well <laughs> there's some there's some clubs like I'd lived there for four years mm. and I lived in a fairly mid-sized town to begin with but then a, a really small town at the end and the mid-sized town even they got like really famous acts coming through there all the time. Yeah, right. And like I was at uni, um, like I've always been into metal and stuff. One of the guys I did my PhD with was a bouncer, mm. like at a nightclub. He's a big German guy too. Um, and he would play techno and, and trance music and stuff in the lab. And, you know, the trance mix would go for two or three hours and you'd just be bopping along to it while you're working in the chem lab. So I sort of got an appreciation for that as well after yeah. four or five years of it. And these clubs in Germany where, you know, you walk in there, there's this full-on hardcore techno going and you look over at the wall and, yeah, there's, there's guys in their 50s and 60s there. <laughs> and all of a sudden they'll just walk out into the middle of the room and bust out these crazy techno dance moves and <laughs> and you're looking at them going, I know I'm in Germany because I'm watching this because that wouldn't happen anywhere else. I am. Um, and, you know, yeah. as quickly as it starts, they just stop and they walk back into the shadows of the side of the dance floor. Go and take a break. And everybody, yeah, everybody cheers and then someone else will go out and bust their moves. <laughs> well, and you're like, if... The only time we sorry. see anything equivalent to that is... Um, 
when you find the really, really drunk guy who stumbled into a metal, yeah. metal gig, doesn't know where he is, but he's had that many yeah. that many pots of beer yeah. that he's he starts breaking out some moves on the dance floor. We had one. Yeah. We we played in Townsville a few months ago, and um, it was like a like an all day sort of metal fest thing. It started about midday and went to midnight. And um, there was one guy there who must have stumbled in from the public bar, and uh, and he was he was doing all sorts of dances. He was getting yeah. down and shaking his. Um, and doing this, I've got it on video somewhere. I think I put it up on the Lord page. And, it's, and but all these metalheads are standing there, and everyone's like, no one's watching the band, and the band's like yeah. playing death metal music or whatever. And this yeah. guy's just throwing down these these arms and just getting really yeah. sort of aggressive, and he's and a big smile on his face with his with his uh, glass yeah. of beer. That's it. And he's he's fighting off a plague of invisible rats. <laughs> And everyone's just watching him going, yeah. And then when the song, all- the song finishes and the place just goes crazy, they're cheering the guy and the band's like, oh, we're doing pretty well. Yeah, little do they know there's an old guy who's just been breaking out the best moves on the floor. Yeah, there's funny people, the Germans. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look um, – I won't keep you too much longer, but I, as uh, as promised, there is yeah, something that I need to need to ask you about. <laughs> and I'll laugh if we're not even on the same page, but I've got a feeling we probably are. But I'm I'm surprised that Shane's even uh, even told you what uh, what I was going to ask you. But I've been told to ask you about the panel van in Port. Yeah, Vincent. same page, city. <laughs> yeah, well, Shane, like Shane and I grew up in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Yeah. In the in a in a sort of the rock the genre, not genre what's it, the rock scene like yeah. our friends that we're still friends with they had a band that was quite popular mm. and they were the you know the long hair there's three three or four of them brothers mm. and two of them were in the band it's a drummer and the guitarist and Robert the guitarist he was you know for a person that was only newly into seeing people play musical instruments he was amazing he's still he's, he's played in a band called the Barking Ants in Adelaide here which are got a huge following now he had you know the hair down to his waist when he was 17 18 he's rocking the you know ibanez guitar and they were playing pubs and stuff all over the place so we sort of hung around that and when we got around the the age where we could drive and stuff shane was in a band with a couple other people um and they had a gig at port lincoln i think it was and there was me and two other guys that Byron Shane had a huge panel van, you know, that, and we hooked up a trailer with all the instruments and PAs and everything, and we drove it from Adelaide to Port Lincoln to set everything up for them because I think it was a, might have been a Friday night gig or something, and we could go during the day. I think I was probably at uni or something like that, so I could just say, yeah, like uni, I'll go. Um, so we went and set up this thing at the Port Lincoln pub. Anyway, because we were there all day, by the time they got on, I was rat-faced drunk. Just absolutely trashed. And they played and there's a few people there and then there's the inevitable bands over, pack everything up, go and get even more drunk. So, yeah, apparently I became quite enamoured with this young lady that was there and she was she was equally as drunk as I was. And, yeah, from what I hear, <laughs> Shane... Shane sort of got in his car at the end of the night and we were in the back of it. And I, he, he turned, like he heard something in the back of his car and he turned around and didn't expect to see me because by my own admission, hopeless with, with women in a romantic sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, no problems at all, you know, getting myself into 
friend zones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm the most friend zoned person on earth, I think. Um, so no problems talking to girls, but huge problems getting past the talking stage to anything physical. Yeah. But then there's me in the back of this, you know, in the back of a panel van, the quintessential stereotype with this girl I just met. And yeah, apparently she was not, not pretty. <laughs> I can't, I honestly can't even remember. I just remember she was Greek. <laughs> and, and yeah, so we went there. They they were giving me. It's one of like I was saying at the start. It's one of those things where the, the next day they're giving me so much shit about it, mm. and I just had to say, okay, if that's what you say happened, because I had no recollection of it at all. And probably and for, like, and probably for 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 the best as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really not light. Like, I've never had a one night stand in my life except for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's really out of character for me, but, you know, alcohol is a, a wonderful drug, I suppose. Well, obviously it impressed Shane so much that, that yeah. he, he remembered oh. it and he, he still recalls it. And well, uh, it, must have, it must have really sort of left a, a, a beautiful image in his mind as well. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so upset that he got married because the stories I could tell him, <laughs> tell you about him, oh, there's some shockers in there, like absolute shockers. <laughs> That you know, it's it's pre-marital stories that it's, it's no one's going to get any laughs out of except you and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like I knew Shane. I met Shane when I was in year six, and you know, still I still friends today. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, when I came back home, second day here, I drove out, walked in the shop. Nothing. He hasn't changed. Like that's the thing. He's married and got two kids, and I don't. <laughs> I've never been married and have no kids, and I sort of am probably exactly the same as I was when we were 17. I haven't had to grow up and become an adult in the same sense that he has, mm, mm. but he's still the same. Yeah. So, you, know, it gives, you can see you, uh, you see it with some people, like they've got this exterior of an adult for about five minutes <laughs> when they fall back into being familiar with you, yeah. and then it's, you know, he starts, like he, while I was there, he called up his distributor yeah. and he's ordering stuff and you know how everything's got a code like ESP7J thing, but yeah, yeah. you know how the radio, you go, you know, Whiskey Alpha Foxtrot, yeah. every word, every letter, the, the phonetic thing for it or you yeah. know, is, is a, just the most disgusting word you can think of. <laughs> so he's like, you know, if I need a, a VJB, he goes, oh, I need a vagina ball Gigolo type thing, number one. And, uh, and like customers are walking into the shop and he's, he's saying this on the phone with a straight face. So, but yeah, we, what is it, 20, 30 years nearly of hijinks with Shane. Well, you must have. And that's, you must have and that's how I met then. you. I met you guys through him. Yeah, so. yeah, that's right. Beer Towers was our, uh, our, yeah. uh, our introduction. Well, that's the thing. I, again, I was in a a pretty low place in mm. career-wise at that point, and he's like, ah, oh, I'll come and pick you up and we'll go and see these guys and we'll have a good time. I'm like, oh, all right, I can't, I can't really. Didn't know what to expect, and yeah, plenty of beer towers and Fertners and... Mork and Andes. Yeah, oh, we better touch on that too, yeah, eh? Oh, well, yeah, I've got that written here as well. I forgot all about it until just then. Because that's what people would know. Like The reason you're probably interviewing me at all is because of Mork and Andy. Oh, uh, well, it, it kind of wasn't. I mean, I, I was quite yeah. fascinated with uh, with everything out at Norseman and, and especially yeah. going out to Kalgoorlie earlier in the year and just realising yeah. how, how 
how crazy of a of an area of the world it is, just being so yeah. isolated from everywhere else. Yeah. So that was that was the main sort of uh, uh, reasoning to to, yeah. to reach out. But um, but yeah, the more Canandy thing is definitely something we should um, we should make a mention of. Yeah, that's the this is the literal fifteen minutes of fame, isn't it? Because that's about <laughs> how long that that joke lasted. <laughs> it really just yeah we it just yeah it just started with I just got a message from Mark yeah. And he sent me one of those Harry Plonker or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, like the Spooder Man or whatever it is. Yeah, no, it was the Harry Potter one. Oh, he sent Harry me Potter. like three. And it was the one with like, I'm not really in the Potter sphere at all. I've watched the movies once. I have no idea who anyone is. Yeah. It was that um, Robbie Coltrane character. That, okay, the, yeah. And it's got Harry Potter there, and he's going, oh, are you excited for Halloween? Hagrid, I think it's Sammy. Hagrid, and he goes, oh, yeah, I am, Harry, but it's not for three days. And he says something like, oh, are you wearing your mask early to this Hagrid thing? And then he's crying in the next thing. And Mark's going, oh, these are so funny. <laughs> and he says, oh, I wish we could do one for Lord and just have us doing stupid shit. Yeah. He, uh, he said, oh, do you reckon you could draw? I don't know why he he must have talked about drawing or I'd drawn something else for you guys. I can't remember. So I said, oh, I'll have a bash at drawing you, like Mark. Yeah. So Mork sort of, from from the humble beginnings to Mork, was literally half an hour. <laughs> like, I, I think I sent him, I think I sent him a draft. Yeah. And he'd done his little um, pigtail thing. Ponytail, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, the hair's works. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said the hair's wrong. But, yeah, Mork was pretty much knocked out of the park with a couple of iterations. Mm. And he's like, oh, that's cold. That's stopped now. Let's let's um, do something with that. And then you, we sent it to you, I think. Mm. And you came back with, oh, that's fantastic. Do one for me. Yeah. And, <laughs> geez, you were so hard to just... Derp. Yeah. <laughs> to take it to take you and just turn you into a derp was just so hard. It's a hard thing for people to comprehend. I mean, to be honest, yeah. Mark, Mark's Mark's you know he's easy to, to derp up. So yeah. yeah. Well, Mark's Mark's got the <laughs> you know if 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 you had to pick one thing from Mark to play on, it's the, his physique. Like he's a big, muscly guy. Whereas yourself, you're not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're. I suppose what we settled with you was the the beard, yeah. the beard without much of a mustache, and yeah. and and the the hair basically. Yeah, that's it. And and the size difference between you two. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It definitely, yeah. definitely works. So well. yeah, I think where there might have been two or three iterations of Mork, there would have been fifty of of Andy. Because <laughs> and some of them, like I look back at them, and I'm just going, "Geez, what was I thinking?" <laughs> and yeah, then eventually it got to the one that we settled on, and I. Reckon that was the best one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. I was, I was crying yeah. when I saw that. Saw the yeah. final draft the, of it. Yeah. The problem with Mork and Andy as the cartoon thing is we set the bar so high, <laughs> so quickly that we just couldn't get up there again. Like I'd be bouncing ideas off Mark, like four lines in a message, like panel one, blah blah blah, <laughs> panel two, blah blah blah, panel three, blah blah blah, panel four, blah blah blah. And that's all I'd send, and he'd send back. Oh, I lolled. You know, I lolled, but it's not really up to the standard we need because, God, we said it. And, you know, the only way they got funnier was to be more brutal to you. Well, that's it. And it kind of worked out well, like, because a lot of the shit that I hang on him, like, I do a lot of that because he's such an easy target. And it sort of, it just, it worked out well that it was, the roles were reversed now. 
and I just copped yeah. it so much with these yeah. cartoons. And every day, like, just log on and says, oh, Mark's added a photo of you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah all right, what's this one? And look at it, and it's something about me being a faggot or something. I'm like, yeah. And just, oh, was that- it was so funny, but, oh, man. I, I, yeah, and it, and it got def- so popular so quickly <laughs> that, yeah, and like I said, the bar was so high that we couldn't we couldn't get up there again. Yeah. Like, we, we had all these, like, I've probably got 20 or 30 just sitting on my computer yeah. that I'd send to Mark and he'd just go, nah, nah, that's not good. Andy's not <laughs> copping it. It's not copying Andy enough, you know. We've got to make him, you know, unless he's tearing up in real life, it's not good enough. <laughs> so, but then I just a few weeks ago, I'd said, oh, we haven't done one for a long time. We mm. should just surprise the public with a new Mork and Andy. Apparently, he got a lot of complaints about him. Oh, yeah? He, oh. Yeah, he was saying, oh, I got a lot of people messaging him, like, you know, mainly for calling you a faggot and stuff. Oh, really? And I, I just went, oh. And he goes, yeah, I really, I don't think it's worth it because they're talking shit about me and talking shit about your band and it's not worth the hassle. I'm like, oh, no. I have no idea. I'll have to, I'll have to chat to him because uh, he hasn't mentioned yeah. it to me. But, um, I mean, you know, it went from the cartoons and then we, we printed the T-shirts yeah. and exactly. we've sold quite a few T-shirts and I've yeah. had people overseas buying the T-shirts. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I saw the guy from Doro. Yeah, yeah, the guy from Doro. Doro's band. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I've, I've actually, I've seen two in the wild. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I was like, and I showed, like, when I was drawing the, some other stuff for you and some, some other people, people go mm. to me, oh, that's really good. You should... Um, you should make T-shirts or something. I go, well, you know, actually, I've got one that sold, you know, this a ridiculous amount of T-shirts. And they go, oh, yeah, whatever. And I show them the Mork and Andy one. They're like, did you do it? I've seen that in, you know, this place and this place, people wearing them. I'm like, <laughs> and then I wonder, like, how many did you actually sell? Yeah, we've sold, a, we've sold quite a few. I mean... Uh, like triple figures or four figures or... Uh, oh, we'd be... Nah, triple triple figures, but... Um, yeah, a yeah, couple of hundred or so. Yeah, but yeah, pretty good. I mean, especially yeah. especially for like a very niche sort of shirt that we didn't yeah. really expect. We we honestly really oh. just thought it'd be like about 20 or 30 people that had been liking yeah. the pictures and that's it. Yeah. And I thought if it I could sell that... Yeah, that, yeah, they just went crazy after that. But even like when I was in the US a few weeks back yeah. and someone was asked asking me about and they couldn't understand what it was about they couldn't understand yeah. the humor so i spent you know i'd had a few beers so you know yeah. obviously you know when i start to explain something like this i get quite animated and by the end yeah. of this explanation which probably lasted for about six hours they yeah. they were won over and then i looked on my phone later on and here's an online store order from this guy and he'd ordered a shirt yeah. straight away so and <laughs> And there's a bunch of guys in the US that have got these shirts and I think a couple of people in Asia, in parts of Asia have yeah. ordered them. Yeah, yeah, the Doro guys have, have got uh, got a shirt each as well. Yeah. So it's um yeah, it's I'd... something where we, it sort of died off for a while and especially when yeah. we haven't been doing the comics, but I've still got a whole bunch of T-shirts there and they still like, – <laughs> I don't take them to shows. Like when we play shows, I don't take them yeah. with me because I don't expect many people yeah. to know. But that's a shirt that people keep asking me about going, have yeah. you got any of the Mork and Andy T-shirts? So I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, they're, they're at – they're at home, you have to order yeah. them online and they get yeah. shitty with me for it. I'm like, oh, well, well maybe that shirt saved my life. That shirt saved my life in Kalgoorlie. Because yeah. after the show, I was like just milling around and Landy was giving oh, yeah. me the stinkiest dead eye. So I was looking at me like, who the hell are you wearing a Mork and Andy shirt oh, really? and talking to Andy? Because I didn't <laughs> know him at that point. So he was giving me the, you know, the Landy death eye with like, how dare you talk to Andy and I don't know who you are. I think. <laughs> So I went over and he, I said, are you, you know, I said, you're Steve Landy, aren't you? Like completely turned the tables on him. Yeah, yeah. 
And he's like, what? Yeah. How do you know me? And I said, oh, you're that. You're the guy that bought this number T-shirt of Mork and Andy. And he goes, oh, did I? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, how come you know all about it? I said, because I drew them. And he's like, then he's like, oh. <laughs> and mate, for life now. <laughs> but he, dude, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. He was giving me the evilest eye of ever seen. Like, how funny. Away from- he's like the, yeah. he's like the harm- most harmless guy. Yeah, I know. And hasn't got a bad bone in his body. He must have just had yeah. too many pints, I reckon. No, it was just fun. Like, I'd been talking to you during the night, and yeah. he was on the door, I think, so he didn't uh, see it. He was probably getting then, shitty that he put his – he volunteered to, to help me with yeah. the door, and then he realised what it entailed, and he went, oh, this is this sucks. Sucker! <laughs> <laughs> I made myself scarce when you said, does anybody want to work on the door? I'm like, oh, I've just got to go over you. Yeah, I know. I talk know. to Tim about phones for a second. <laughs> <laughs> anything's, better than, anything's better than working the door. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> oh, classic. All right, man. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you go. Yeah. Thank you very no much for your time. Much appreciated. Uh, when do you go back to Norseman? On Wednesday. On Wednesday. So oh. Two days from now. We've got one more day in civilization tomorrow and going to go buy a few more. I'm just loading myself up with stuff I just can't get. Yeah. Yeah. Any, so any particular the... items that you load up on? on your... Oh, yeah. Like Metworth. There's, oh, yeah. this, there's this brand in South Australia here called Butchers that's only available at Foodland. Get in there, people. <laughs> buy it up. It's the, I know, shit, it is the best Metworth I've ever had. And I, I'll buy like two or three of the huge long, yeah. long ones. Metworth, we're still talking here. And uh, <laughs> just throw them in my luggage because you can't just get anything like it out there. Well, what is but it? Mainly Metworth. Metworth. Oh, okay. So it's like yeah. salami. Yeah, oh, no, that's yeah. That's a South Australian thing. I yeah. know you probably... Called Fritz something else over in that side of the world. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. It's like salami, but it's yeah. called the German name for it, Metwurst. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what it is now. So, what do you do? Just load up your suitcase full of, full of salami. Well, I buy two or three of them, put them in with the clothes I'm taking back. Because when I'm when I'm not working, I can't eat in the mess at, at the camp. So ah, right. for five days, I have to provide my own food basically. So I'd load up on stuff I know I'll eat from here. Yeah. that I can get back without the sniffer dogs taking it. Because, <laughs> you know, there's all the quarantine stuff with crossing the state line. And everything. Yeah, yeah, of course, no fruit. But, mate, other stuff I buy is just, like, clothes. Yeah. Because clothes and, you know, like, like I bought a new phone because the one I had just full of dust and stopped working. And earphones, like, earphones, I listen to podcasts and stuff while I work. Mm. So, I mean, I go through headphones like no one's business. I just get full of dirt and dust. And, yeah, pretty just stuff like that. Just little trinkets <laughs> to keep myself busy. Like I've bought some PlayStation games and stuff that you can't get out there. Just stuff to pass the time when you're when you're there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. Just just to alleviate the boredom of when I'm not working. Well, enjoy your uh, your trinket shopping tomorrow. Yeah. No worries. Uh, safe Thanks travels back to Boston. Yeah. Pleasure. We'll do it again soon. Okay. All right. No worries. Take care, man. See ya. See ya. Thank you, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, a bit different. Uh, hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, please support Michael with his uh, new photography page he's put up. It's called Field Star Photography. Uh, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes and chuck it up uh, in the links of the Facebook page and everything like that. So get on there. Make sure you make contact with him. Leave him a bunch of comments and likes and shares and whatever the hell else uh, on his page. Make him feel loved. Really appreciate uh, anything you can do just to connect with all the people that I get on the show. As always, and I said at the start, and I'll say it on every episode, find me on iTunes, press that 
five-star little button to rate me or one star or whatever, but preferably five would be better uh, and leave me a review. And to be honest, I know it's a pain in the ass and most of the time when you're listening to this, you're probably driving or you're doing something where you're not near a computer, but just... It takes like two minutes to do, if that, and you can write like one word if you really want to. Uh, So you don't have to write an essay, you don't have to write anything sort of over the top and crazy, just a a one-liner or a couple of words or whatever it might be, nice and simple. But uh, the more uh, activity that's uh, shown for the podcast, then the better it's going to go in the charts and it's just going to help me get get more exposure and more reach to more people. Um, On the back of that, uh, I'm on Twitter, so find me on there. Uh, so it's just Andy Dowling. Lord's on Twitter as well. That's Lord Official. Pretty much if you type Lord Official into almost every social media platform, you'll find the band on there. So make sure you get onto all those things and connect with the band on there. And then, of course, the Facebook page for me and the podcast, which is if you're actually typing the URL, it's facebook.com slash Andy Dowling Official. Get on there and help me boost this page because Facebook are a bunch of assholes. And every time I post something, I get a reach of about 50 people. We have to try and beat the algorithm somehow and get uh, get some of you guys on there and liking posts and sharing stuff. And, uh, you know, just a couple of clicks, as I said before, makes a massive difference for me. And hopefully it'll just get easier and easier to reach more people with each post. Uh, so it, it'll be my responsibility to make sure that posts pop up. But um, I'm hoping that you guys can help me out and uh, and just be uh, as interactive as you can with the time that you got uh, just to uh, help boost uh, and make sure that the, the posts are reaching as many people as possible. Apart from that, just a big thank you to everybody who's been uh, listening in and supporting. Uh, a lot of great feedback and comments from people. A lot of cool ideas that people are throwing my way. I've actually been working on some additional stuff on the side of the podcast that'll be an audio format that I'll look to put out over the coming months as I find the time to do it. It's It's been quite interesting just a few weeks into this podcast and you know I'm sitting on the 12th episode now and it's been very interesting. It's it's opened up a lot of doors. It's uh, even just from the people that I've spoken to today, just understanding and appreciating conversation with people has just been fantastic. And it's just, I think I've just grown a lot in the, such a short period of time. It's 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 been really fantastic. So regardless of the success of the podcast and how many people listen to it moving forward, what's happened already since I've launched the podcast has just been well and truly worth it. So I'm extremely stoked of, uh, of what's what's come of it so far and it looks to be as a bonus there's uh, a lot of further opportunities that are going to come from it and it's also been good uh, as a good connection and some cross promotion from the band even though I don't really talk about the band a great deal so far in the podcast so I do reference the band every once in a while but I'll begin to add some more episodes and refer to the band a little bit more here and there as we go along but I really wanted to make this podcast a bit separate to the band to a degree but also use the uh, you know the the profile of the band and the and the, the momentum of the band to push the podcast and bridge the two worlds together as well so this podcast is not just for myself it's it's for the band and it's to to do a bit of cross promotion and uh, I've got a lot of lot of cool ideas down the track that'll hopefully continue to melt the worlds together so to speak but yeah uh, lots of things but I'm rambling on so once again thank you very much uh, continue to support every way you can all the show notes all the links uh, anything that I can think of that was in the uh, episode will be noted in there and uh, yeah thank you so much and we'll be back next week with episode 30 which I have no idea what that's going to be yet, but uh, I'll work that out very shortly. But uh, thanks again and stick around and we'll speak soon. Cheers. You're ready.